I do remember calling her a witch one day and she went mental at me. (laughs) I think I did get a slap for that. (laughs) You're listening to the Nacho Kids Podcast, where we discuss all things step family related, real stories, real people, real help. Your hosts are the creators of the Nacho Kids Method and the Nacho Kids Academy Step Family Coaching Team, Lori and David Sims. We have a surprise. What's that? We finished our month of men, but I have another one. So it's a bonus month of men. A bonus week. Bonus week for all you bonus moms. David. (laughs) Feel that cortisol rise. (laughs) Well, some women don't mind being called that. I know that you're not a fan of the term. It's okay because, frankly, we've talked about this before, but we want to abolish the word mom from stepmoms and bonus moms. (laughs) I thought about this the other day. Okay. I think we should just be named Target. (laughs) RJ. I'm Lori, his Target. Oh, wow. No, you could be like, hi, I'm Lori. Punching bag. No, that sounds a little brutal. It does. But Target is probably bad, too. Scapegoat. We talked about scapegoat before. Yeah. Nobody wants to be a goat. Better than a cow. Be a sheep. So you can say, bye. No, what was that you told somebody the other day? Be a duck. Yeah. Be a duck. Let it roll off your back. Quack, 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 quack. (laughs) That's right. All right. So we're going to make this short because... I went a little long with this interview. Surprise. (laughs) We are talking to Johnny Jensen from Team Superdad. Woo! Woo, JJ. He is from the UK. Uh Uh-oh. Now we know how it went long. (laughs) So I could keep listening to his accent. Mm -hmm. Yes. He was a stepdad, but he no longer has a lot of contact with his stepchild after he and his wife divorced. Mm -hmm. He has two bio kids. His mom passed away when he was nine, Mm. and then his dad remarried, and he became a stepson until he was 16, and then his dad and his stepmom split up. Okay. So he was a stepson, he was a stepdad, and now he's neither. Now he's just stepped on. David. (laughs) Well, it sounds like he's had some inspiration from all that. Mm -hmm. Yes. I did find it ironic, and I mentioned this in our last podcast, because I had already interviewed Johnny when we did the intro for the last podcast, that he also brings up hugs. Mm-hmm. So y'all get to hugging. Have you ever seen the the guy, I think maybe New York, runs around giving out free hugs, wears a t-shirt that says free hugs? No, but some friends of mine had t-shirts that said free hugs. Yeah. It might even be a movement by now, but I, know, I remember, it might have been, in, I can't remember when it started. I just remember the guy running around and giving out free hugs and then somebody was, you know, recording him, going around with him and stuff like that. It was, it was really good to Mm -hmm. to see people's reactions to that. Well, here's the thing. A hug can break you. I know. Trust me. It's like every time Lori's like on the edge of crying about something, which almost never happens. But if I'm like, can I hug you? You're like, no, get away from me. (laughs) (laughs) I'll start crying if you hug me. (laughs) It breaks you, but it can also heal you. Yep. So I can only imagine this guy that you're talking about that's giving away free hugs. I bet there are a lot of people that he hugs and they just cry. Probably so. And Johnny mentions that there was some kind of study done or whatever you want to call it, where they took these babies and they separated some of them 
and they fed all of them, but only some of them were given attention like love and hugs. You know what happened to them other babies? What? They died. Uh-uh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I thought you was going to say like they were underweight or something no, like that. Good they, grief. They died. Okay. That's an interesting study. I have to look that one up. He also mentions that you should have seven types of physical touch a day, whether that's just holding somebody's hand, rubbing by them in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And I also like the fact that he brought up that he has this thing with his kids that is don't shout, hug it out. <laughs> hug it out. <laughs> but then he'll tell his kids, you know, I have to shout at you, right? <laughs> that's funny. It was really good. And I enjoyed having Johnny. And I think that we'll probably have him again at some point because there were a lot of things we didn't cover. Okay, cool. So he helps dads. He has Team Super Dad. And he has the Hero Academy. Hmm. I haven't checked it out yet, but I intend to. All right. Well, let's get to listening, as you say. But first, a word about the Academy. There is a way to save your sanity and your relationship, and it's called the Nacho Kids Academy. In the Nacho Kids Academy, you will learn the skills and knowledge to properly nacho, techniques to handle stepfamily challenges, ways to improve your communication, and much, much more. Visit nachokidsacademy.com and sign up today to join other step parents who are seeing the life-changing benefits of nachoing. Again, that's nachokidsacademy.com. Today, we have Johnny Jensen, creator of the Team Superdad community and the Hero Academy for Modern Dads. Hey, Johnny, how are you? I'm good, Laurie. How are you today? Doing well. Awesome. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself before we start diving into things. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm a dad. I'm 46, uh, divorced, unfortunately, Um, although... You know, I now see it's better to be out of a bad relationship than than, than staying in it. Uh, I have two uh, gorgeous children. Obviously, everyone says their children are gorgeous, but <laughs> mine are. Um, <laughs> of course, they are. <laughs> uh, Jago is a boy. He's he's eleven, and Rosie is uh, a beautiful young lady who's nine. And um, yeah, we've we've been separated for for nearly well for nearly six years now. We broke up in in twenty fifteen. So my kids were just five and three. And uh, I did have a stepson in that relationship. And um, yeah, so I will get into that, I'm sure. But sadly, he doesn't talk to me at the moment. But um, it's been a complex journey. Uh, I've learned a lot from it. I'm pretty sure I'm going to be a better uh, husband in the future uh, because of it. Um, And in many ways, it's been my inspiration for Team Superdad and the Hero Academy and you know, I couldn't be that support for other dads if I hadn't been through this process myself. And as I rationalized and tried to come to terms with exactly what has happened, it occurred to me one day while I was climbing a mountain, what if this all happened to me for a reason? And then I thought, oh my gosh, if it all happened to me for a reason, then then these this experience I now should be giving back to other people. And, uh, and, and I thought, oh my gosh, all the people I know, all the courses I've been on, all the, um, experts and books and everything. I suddenly thought, my gosh, what if all of this was some crazy blessing? And so that's really my motivation and drive for everything I, I do now, of course, as well as my children, but, uh, at, at 46, nearly 47, I feel like I'm halfway and there's a lot of good stuff to come. 
Definitely. And David and I have talked about that too. We basically went through hell with our blend. And once we started what's now nachoing and things got better, we're like, we owe it to people to help them. Yeah. And, you know, it's not easy to share your life with the world. Totally true. But the thing the thing that people need to realize is if someone's listening to this and they're really in a tricky time, it's it's really easy to think or feel, especially you think it and then you feel it. Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? And in the eye of the storm, it can feel intense and it can feel like a punishment. And But we all get ourselves into things for the right reasons, for the wrong reasons. They go the way we want them to go. They don't, they don't go the way we want them to go. But out of everything, there's a lesson to be learned. And truly, as human beings, the opportunity with our brain and our consciousness and our ability to make decisions and and grow continuously, if if um, in amongst that pain, you can stop and think, you know, what am I supposed to learn from this? Mm -hmm. What could I do with this experience? What, what, What if I was responsible for everything that happened? And what if all of this was now a platform to go somewhere else? Winston Churchill, um, I'm going to do him a disservice by getting this quote slightly wrong but uh he he said something along the lines of um um like the secret to life is is failing without any loss of power like can you know kind of like failing fast but moving from one failure to the next with the same level of enthusiasm and excitement because that's where success is found exactly some of us are fortunate enough to look back and see why things happened and I really believe that David and I struggled so much in our journey so we could help other people. I, I think, especially if you've got a, a a bad story, and I say bad as in kind of rough, you know, you kind of think, well, this must have happened for some reason. And and depending on your faith, you know, you could, there's, there's you know, they say about God said, uh, I won't send you a challenge you 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 can't handle. And then I feel like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, <it's> like <laughs> what? And um, it's important that people realize that because when we are down on our luck, when we are knocked on our backsides, pain is painful. It can be lonely. It can be horrific. And and people, especially in this time that we're in now, you know, people's money, people's livelihoods, people's loved ones, like it's just, it's just incredibly challenging. But around us, for every person that's struggling, there's other people that are really pivoting and getting excited and energized. And, and, And I say to my kids, as as an as an example to them of how we can choose how we can be excited even in difficult situations is that some people will dance in the rain and some people will run for cover and it's the same rain so we all must remember that oh i love that that's kind of poetic there johnny oh you can keep that if you want <laughs> <laughs> i know i'm going to do a disservice to this guy's name but have you ever heard of nick Vujicic? <laughs> Nick. Oh, oh, the guy with no arms and legs. Is that him? With the chicken foot. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You are doing his, ter- you're doing a terrible <laughs> disservice to his name. But how, uh, if it's any better, uh, if, it's, if it's any consolation, I can't do it any better. <laughs> well, how would you say it? I don't even know, but I know the guy you're talking about. <laughs> I've seen all his videos and he talks at conferences and stuff like that. So, yeah. He's amazing. Yeah. He is happier than people that have arms and legs. Well, it's, it's all about our frame of reference, isn't it? So poor me, yes. poor me. And and here's something about that. You know, I, I look, when my wife, my ex-wife now, uh, when we were together and, and she was really sick and we'd had the miscarriages and financial troubles and stuff, and we had found ourselves in a, in a born again Christian church, which she's 
now very much part of and and happy there you know that's that's great for her it 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 taught me a bit of a different lesson to be quite honest but my relationship my faith my relationship with god has, has been strong from a young age and and not in a classical way but but we were brought up christians and and i felt god in my life but you know that I don't know whether you call it a parable or just a, a modern day story, but it's like the, when it's when there's a there's a storm coming and it's raining and the floodwaters are rising and and the the bus drives up and and the Christian says, "Oh, don't worry about me, God's going to save me." <laughs> and then the waters rise and and they're all sat on the roof and the, and the and the boat comes by and the Christian goes, "Don't save me, save the others first. I'm a Christian. God will save me." And then he's sat in a tree and the waters and the helicopter comes by. He says, "No, save someone else. I'll be I'll be fine. God's going to save me." So then he's up at the up at the pearly gates and he says to he says to is it Peter or Paul or whoever whoever does the whoever mans the gates he says I, I thought you were going to save me and they're like are you kidding me we sent a bus we sent a helicopter we sent a boat <laughs> and like <laughs> and I look back on my marriage like that and and I love my wife dearly when 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 we got married you know that um, you know you, hopefully you marry someone you adore and you, you know and ultimately you you only divorce someone you don't really like that much or get on with that well but. Um, uh, you know, in in that upset when I was thinking like we, I begged you, I prayed to you, I, I like how could you let this happen to me? And uh, you know, also this was part of my recovery and the process of putting my life back together. I had that uh, that story was reminded to me, and I and, and a couple of people had, had questioned my judgment around my marriage, and I had ignored them, and uh, and and so you know, in that moment I was thinking God was saying to me do you know what I had to go through to get you out of that? <laughs> like, <laughs> and we, but we, we pray and we expect our prayers to be answered the way we want them to be. Mm-hmm. And, and this higher being, this God figure, man or woman, whatever your denomination might be, like who are we to pray and expect it to be answered the way we want it to be answered? If, if, we're, if we're sensible, we'll ask for them to, you know, solve our problem, answer our pair in the way they see fit. Right. And, uh, and, and, and if we go back to the context, of what we're talking about here, um, the way he or she, you know, the God figure saw fit for me was to give me this experience so that I could pass it on to others so that I could create team super dad so that I could repair myself so that I could be a better dad, a future partner for someone to, have me fulfill my potential and achieve my dreams. And that's, that's what everybody needs to do, whether you've got a, no arms, no legs, or, or, or you've been hurt in an accident or, or, or left separated by someone, or, or as we spoke about before the cameras roll, rolled, um, people that have been abused. I, I can't imagine what that's like, but if in amongst that we can find a strength and a purpose from it, then we really can transform that situation and make it whatever big an opportunity that that um, that this life uh, offers us, right? It's turning tragedy or trauma into testimony. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I, I believe that that is a similar frame of reference for for a for a blended family. You know, I, I I put to you in my notes about about my my stepson and and what it was like going into that relationship, and and um, people said to me, you know, how how are you possibly going to like, you're taking on a six-year-old. This is crazy. What, what the hell are you thinking? For me, it was as clear as, well, I love her. I love him. I don't, there's not like a, oh my gosh. And there's a kid, you know, it's like, I couldn't love her completely 
without loving him completely. You know, it's like warts and all, you know, front, front door, back door, roof on the top. You know, you can't, you can't pick the bits of life that you want to enjoy and experience and in love. You've got to look at it and say, if I love this thing, I love it all. Right. Well, that kind of comes with people saying that your significant other and their kids are a package. Yeah, totally. Now, I'll tell you, when David and I got married, yeah, I loved his kids. I wanted what was best for them. I came in, tried to be super stepmom. Everything went to crap. <laughs> <laughs> they hated me, and I hated them. I mean, there's no sh- way to sugarcoat it. And I know you're not supposed to hate people, so we can say they disliked me and I disliked them. It was hard to love these kids when they were trying their best to destroy my marriage. Yeah, yeah. I was so wrapped up in my hurt from everything going on, I was unable to see their hurts. With me disengaging fully for a year before I started to slowly re-engage with them, it gave us all time to heal from the hurt and the resentment that we had experienced. Yeah, of course. And I love them dearly now. I, I love them dearly. Not more than my son, but I love them differently, and I love them. Well, that's an important message. and. You know, that, that last bit, that, that bit about loving your stepchildren less than your biological children or your stepchildren getting uh, feelings of inadequacy or, or, or insecurities because you, you love them more than me or they get this more than... I used to say to my stepson, no, you're not my boy. I didn't make you, but we get to choose our relationship. And, and, if, and if we look at that as a positive... What it takes to create something, what it takes to choose something is actually harder than than just something that's baked into us biologically, genetically, because we created that 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 child that there's that there's that in beyond intimate connection. It's it's just a, a connection. I don't even know what the word is for that that connection. But as a stepchild, as a step parent, you could I felt like I had to say, because we choose this, we can have it be as strong as we want it to be. We can have it to be as fun as sensible as silly as serious you know whatever we want this to be we can choose it and and you can't you can't tell a biological parent enough i'm done with you or or walk out on your kid i mean some people do obviously but i'm just you know i said to him this is for you and me to create so what do you want it to look like Mm -hmm. how old was he when you came into the relationship yeah i didn't have that conversation with him when he was six but he was six when i came into that relationship and his dad was kind of out of the picture yes Yes, um, uh, that's the easiest way to, to to sum that up, yeah. There's things that are easier when the other bio parent's not in the picture, but then there's things that are harder. Again, it, it very much depends on their age. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to say to people, and I didn't just say it, I felt it. I get to be dad to a kid that hasn't got a dad. I mean, what kind of gift is that? It's just, it's just mega. Um, I was lucky, fortunate enough to have some really strong father figures in my life. My family in America... Uh, showed me, you know, a wonderful dimension to family and and parenting. My dad was a larger than life father. He did have his dark side as as well. I'm not talking about he's still alive. It's not. You know, I don't mean to sound like his past tense, but um, you know, there was. You know, I got I got a few thrashings, which I think were more of a generational thing than my dad being some kind of you know kid beater. Um, uh, he he got them from his mum, and I got them from him, and 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 it was. It's I, my kids don't get them from me. But what I'm saying is that I could see what this boy was missing. And 
if I had the opportunity, which I did, you know, I, I could, I could be something to him that, that, that he was missing, that, that he could benefit from. And if the biological parent is still around and still in, still involved, then I would not have had quite a, uh, a strong desire and intention to be that father figure. I think that's a very tricky thing that any step parent needs to consider is it's not our job to replace a parent. Um, it's our job to, to fill a gap, to, to, to provide some love and support and a foundation that, that if it's not there, that we create it. And, and if it is already there because the biological parent is, is around, then what we're really saying is I've got the opportunity to be, to, to be something more to you than you would otherwise have. And when I look at the experience of my mum dying, yes, I lost my mum, but out of that, I've had a number of women, mainly in our family, but also extended to friends, mums as well. I've had women step up and take on a more motherly role than I think they would have done if my mum had been alive. And so I think a step-parent opportunity is that. It's like, what could I give, you know, I've got this opportunity to give you something more than you've currently got in your life. So what would that look like? And then we can offer up our values and experiences and guidance and, and love and laughter as, as a bonus to those children, which I kind of falls into the role of primary parent, non-primary parent, but it's tricky. It's difficult waters, murky waters when a step parent is, is put into the position of being a primary parent, um, because that's when you get the, you're not my dad and, and those kind of things. That's a good way to put it, that we can fill in the gaps. But I will say, you know, with my whole nacho mentality, that's if we want to and if the children are open to us doing so. A lot of times we see where the stepmom may buy little Johnny stuff and little Johnny's not very appreciative of it because he wishes it was from his real mom. So there's that tension, and he doesn't really want that attention from the stepmom because she's not his mom. Yeah. And sorry, I do use little Johnny all the time, not just because I'm talking to you. <laughs> it's me, little Johnny. <laughs> I'm talking about you, little Johnny. So your mom passed away, I'm sorry, at a young age. Yeah, I was nine, yeah. And you became a stepson. Yeah, my dad, whatever the word is. <laughs> There's a biggest remarried. There's a bigger story which I'm trying to condense down into one word. Yeah, but anyway, so my dad remarried about a year after my my mother passed away. She had uh, she had cancer. She was only 34, and it came oh, came at a time when cancer wasn't quite as spoken about as much as as it is now. So so tricky tricky experience, but yeah. you know even more so was my dad saying, "Hi, this is." You know, this is this is Jane. This is uh, who actually knew she was a family friend, and um, and uh, and and she's pregnant, and we're getting married. <laughs> we were like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> so it was complicated, and at the same time, easy. Uh, give her her dues. I don't feel like she ever tried to replace my mum, mm -hmm. and um, but she did bring certain values which were strong to her, such as eating dinner together, certain levels of, of politeness and respect. And I think, you know, because my dad was, was quite, you know, he's 40 years old, suddenly lost his wife. He's got, he's got a nine and a seven year old boy to, to, to manage. And she definitely helped him do that job better. 
I don't think he was really coping that well without anybody else there. And and he did have a fair bit of money at that time. So they actually went out quite a lot and and partied and, and dinner parties and concerts and, you know, shows. And so we did have babysitters quite a lot. Uh, it was a crazy, a crazy teenage experience. But I ended when they broke up when I was uh, just shortly before my 17th birthday. But I, I've seen her from time to time and I've... For all the stuff that went on, I've thanked her. I know that she did her best for us in the same way that I became a dad, stepdad to a six-year-old. She became, you know, I was 40, uh, no, I was 36 years old and I suddenly had a six-year-old. And um, I think she was around uh, even a younger age than that. And she suddenly had a nine and seven-year-old. So I had to look at that from my own experiences that I'd then, then learned and said, oh, blimey, that couldn't have been that easy. You actually did okay. Definitely some clangers dropped, but uh, but all in all, she did her best. So when your dad and she got married, did she come in and not necessarily try to replace your mom, but did she tell you chores to do and things like that? Or did she just kind of stand back? Um, or do you remember? <laughs> we were quite wild kids. We lived in a big house. We had dirt bikes and go-karts and toys everywhere. And, and my dad was a, a larger and still is a larger than life figure. And so there was always a lot going on and she very much slotted into our life in that guise. So she enjoyed the fun side of, of what went on around us. Mm-hmm. And so she didn't really need to come in and try and um, shape us. She just came in and, and, and joined the ride and all the time it was going well, then that was quite easy. But when, you know, as we started to become teenagers and my dad's financial circumstances shifted a little bit and, and the tension of, of how they ended up together started to wear a bit thin, then, um, then everything shifted really. But I would say she was pretty consistent as, as in so far as her support towards us, her, her rules. They weren't overbearing, but they were just, you know, sensible household rules. You know, don't talk back, pick mm-hmm. up your stuff, um, do your homework. But she picked her battles well. I don't think, I don't really recall her her trying to take too much control. And I was angry and upset as well. I was a, I was a nine-year-old boy who was, who was devastated about his mum dying. And, uh, you know, my pretty much my recollection, apart from the day my dad told us about it, I don't think it was really ever mentioned again. And um, I do remember calling her a witch one day and she went mental at me. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think I did get a slap for that. <laughs> well, you know, little Johnny. <laughs> well, totally. You know, that's, you know, that's, that's your classic 13, 14 year old pushing, pushing boundaries, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, it could have been a lot worse than being a witch. Yeah. But you know, the other positive memories. I I, I remember I I bought I, my first Walkman. You know, my my cassette player Walkman was at an airport on a trip one time, and I we were standing there looking at cassettes to choose. I didn't know what to choose, and she said, "You should get this one. You should get this one." And it was a David Bowie cassette. So pretty much one of the first albums I ever had was a David Bowie. Uh, and she she loved music, so you know, it's things like that 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 she shared. She shared her passions in a positive way. Uh, and like I said, you know, for the for the things I could say she did wrong, I can I can say an equal number of things that she did right, if not more. That is awesome. 
Do you think you can see those things now because you're older and you're wiser and you live through being a stepdad? Because surely at nine, even 15 years old, you didn't notice these things. You didn't think, oh, she's, you know, pretty awesome. Um, I, I was very aware that she didn't try to overly mother us. And mm-hmm. I'm also under the impression that some people thought that that was a, was a negative that she should have. But I'm not really sure that was her style. And, and on reflection, she did the right thing in, in, in that respect. I also have my aunt, who's my mum's sister. And, you know, my, my aunt naturally, I suppose, took on a very strong motherly role and still does to this day. She's grandma to my children and I speak to her two or three times a week. Mm-hmm. And my family in America... My auntie Barbara, who's kind of my grandma figure in my American family to me, she, I, w- I was there every summer. She took on a very strong motherly role. And, um, and Mary, who's one of, it's too hard to explain, right? But Rob and Mary are kind of my American <laughs> mum and dad. And that's who I spent every summer with for, you know, for, for the majority of my, of my youth. Again, she, she took on a motherly role towards me in, in a way that was an incredible blessing and, and, and taught me so much. So I was devastated at my mum dying. And mm-hmm. it's led me to question who I was, who I am, what what do I know about women? What would my life be like if she was still around? Why did this happen to me? It's not fair. But as I got a little bit older and started to rationalize that upset, I became very, very present to the feeling and the sense that she was always looking over me. The spirit of my mum is is has always been around me. And that's why my faith is it's kind of it's not a classic. Christian faith. I, I, I do have a, a sense of God. I've had a couple of literally miracle type experiences that have happened in my life. Um, so I'm aware of that faith being real in my life. Mm-hmm. And I kind of conscious of it being partly to do with my mom and, 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 and that side of it. So it's, it's not straight out of the Bible, that's for sure, but it, but it is a strong faith. And I believe that, I believe that that's God, whoever your God is uh, to you. That's what, he she wants us to have is they they want us to have a strong faith because when we're connected to our faith it it guides our moral compass it gives us a a purpose in life it gives us strength in difficult times and um and that's why i kind of feel around faith that it's probably more likely that there that we are all cheering for the same thing it's just that we're given different flavors of it because because we're human beings and that's what we, we we demand in our in our rationalizing life so you know i'm going to ask what miracles you had happen to you so my brother, uh, he went missing on the 28th of December in 2014. He was supposed to come to a Christmas party and he never showed up and he, he had suffered some mental health problems. And so we didn't worry too much for a few hours, but as the day came to an end, we, uh, we did start to worry a little bit and, and I had to take my family home. We lived about an hour away from, from, uh, from Brighton and my experience, uh, in, for business and work was all digital marketing and social media. So I sat up most of the night just pumping out pictures and posters and have you seen this person and messaging truck driver groups and and nightclubs. And, you know, it was really by the time I woke up in the morning, I could see from my tracking that I'd reached in like three, uh, like like seven hundred fifty thousand, eight hundred thousand. It just kept going up. Like the amount of people who'd seen this this thing that I'd posted. And when I went to when I got into bed, it was about half two in the morning. I got into bed, and my my wife was like, "Are you okay? Are you okay?" And we sat there and we we prayed. And I was kind of, "Oh, heavenly Father, would you please?" And then I got really angry, and I was just I was like, "Hang on a minute, 
you said you were walk among us. You said you were here. You said that you said that this was all we, you know, you, you said you got this, like, where the hell are you now? Mm-hmm. And I was really angry and just real and raw. And, and then the next day we were back at my dad's and we were going through the motions again and, and, uh, and a police car turned up and, and we just knew as soon as we opened the door that, um, that it was bad news. And, and yeah, sadly he, he took his, took his life in front of a train, um, on the 29th, but on the 30th, I got a phone call out of the blue and this, this guy said, uh, I think I had your brother at my house two nights ago. And so that in that night when I was praying, he was walking through a park and he came across this young lad sat on a bench and he, as he walked past him, he, he, he told me, he said, I got a really strong message, really strong voice said, stop and talk to him. So he stopped and talked to him and, uh, how are you? Are you all right? What are you doing here? Yeah, bearing in mind, this is the middle of December on a dark, cold night in a, in a, in a park. Yeah, kind of weird. Yeah. And my brother was only 24 years old, right? So kind of young. And so he, he finished the conversation and he walked on and, and he said, and he goes, and then the voice said to me, go back and get him. And the guy said to me, you need to understand, I don't do this. I don't, I don't talk to, I'm quite a shy person. I don't talk to homeless people. I don't talk to people on their own. I don't, I, I just, but I got told I had to do this. And so he said to my brother, would you like to come back like to the warm? Not, not, not being a weirdo, but I live around the corner and you know, you don't look much younger than me. And, and so my brother said, no, 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 no. So this man walked to the edge of the park and he was right at the edge of the park about to leave the park. And he said, I've never been so com- like spoken to it like this and told like as an order, go and get him. And so he, he he was like, are you kidding me? Like, what is this? Walk back. <laughs> Said to my brother again, look, I, I know this sounds weird, but look, you don't have to talk to me. I'll just walk that way. If you want to come back, you can just follow me, come in. I'm going to put a pizza on and stuff. So my brother followed him. Um, and by all accounts, they ate pizza, watched the Big Bang Theory, which was his bit, which was his favorite TV show. And then this guy said to me, Mark, his name was, he, he, he was quite upset then because he said in the morning I, I saw him and I went into the shower. And he said, and when I came out of the shower, he was gone. And he said, and it wasn't until, and this is, this is the really twisted part. He goes, it wasn't until I went to church later that day that I sat down and I was looking at my phone and the person that came and sat next to me, I, I saw on my phone, we were, we were like your friends with this person and it was your, and it was your missing boy picture. And, um, and so he's, yeah. And the crazy thing is this guy said to me, his, his fiance had walked out on him a month before the week before their wedding, his fiance had walked out on him and he was completely lost in his faith and he didn't know what to do. didn't know where to go. And so he had that experience in his life, which, which gave him hope. And my brother who was having, who had a very tricky time with, with, with his mental health and paranoid schizophrenia. And he took a choice. And this is the important thing about suicide in, in these kind of situations is he took a choice to exit what was a very painful life for him. Mm-hmm. And, um, and just so much inside that story because a higher force, God, if that's your denomination, had everyone covered that night. They had me covered. They had my brother covered. They had Mark covered. And, um, and, and there's just, you, you just can't put that down to coincidence. There's, there's just too much going on in that story for it, for it not to be a miracle. Right. Wow. That's really good. I like that. Yeah. People need to just stop for a second and, and just breathe that in because, Stuff happens in our life all the time that we walk past, that we fail to notice the, the, the gut feeling, the little voice inside our head. And, and some, you just got to listen to that sometimes because 
you, you might notice something that, that was there for you to see, you know, and, and uh, you might have a conversation that was placed there for you. The person who you thought didn't matter could have really made a difference in your life. And at the same time, you made a difference in their life. And that's what Mark did that night. And my brother's last night on this earth, rather than being cold and alone, he ate pizza, watched his favorite TV program, and, uh, and then took, took, you know, made the ultimate choice the next morning. You're right. We are so busy and everything's so fast-paced that we don't take time to listen to those little voices. And thankfully, Mark did. Mm. Well, it sounds like the voice wasn't going to give Mark much of a choice, but <laughs> um, <laughs> he, he did listen and he kept listening. He didn't just dismiss it. And I think too often we have those voices or those gut feelings and we ignore them and it's to our own detriment that we do. Yeah. You have to listen to those voices. Totally. And bringing this back to, you know, blended families and our stepchildren, we need to put ourselves in the shoes of our children and in our stepchildren before we make a judgment, before we shout at them. And, and believe me, my kids get shouted at, right? But <laughs> I'm constantly working on, okay, I'm not going to shout at them. I'm not going to suck it in 10 times then shout with them 11 times okay i'm gonna i'm gonna suck it in 11 times so now i'm up to like i'm gonna suck it in 15 20 30 you know i'm gonna keep and of course ultimately then the milk boils over and i'm like are you guys kidding me like <laughs> but but he's 11 he's gonna do stupid things he's gonna wee all over the wall he's gonna leave leave the toothpaste off the off the thing for the hundredth time you know he's he's gonna knock over a drink that was right in front of him mm -hmm. because that's what 11 year old kids do mm -hmm. they don't do it on purpose it feels like they're doing it on purpose but their brain is so addled with puberty and, and new neuro connections and new thoughts and choices that their brain sometimes does say to them well what would happen if you went left there <laughs> it's like, like there's no rational reason for them to go left. In fact, if they thought about it, they'd know that there was a muddy puddle left, but they just go, okay, yeah, I'll have a look. And then <laughs> through, yeah. <laughs> through the muddy puddle. And then you're looking at them going, we're just going shopping. Like, how can you be covered in mud? Oh, oh sorry. I didn't realize. I didn't realize. And then in that moment, we shout at our kids, but, and this is the funny thing because my boy and I are so similar. I, I go to, I go to shout and I go, oh my gosh. And I breathe it in for a moment. I think, and I remember how many times did I do that? Mm -hmm. How And I am living all the frustrations my dad experienced. I'm living them now because my boy is just like me and all the doofusy things I did, he's now doing, right? So who am I to lose it with him? Mm -hmm. And I, and I say to him sometimes, you do know I have to shout at you now, don't you? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm doing my dad bit because you just did your kid bit. And and it's, it's important because when I was a kid, I, I got shouted at and I never got told why I never got it explained. I never got it. I never got it. I never got the context. Mm -hmm. So I was just left with my dad's a bit scary. I'm, I'm always in the wrong. It wouldn't be like this if my mum was around. Like it, it felt very much like I was doing things wrong. It was my fault. I wasn't good enough. And sadly, the decisions we make at a young age, we carry into our adulthood. So I'm constantly wrestling with, I'm not good enough. It's my fault uh, type thoughts. And, um, and so we have to remember when we, when we are ranting and, and making decisions and grounding our kids, you know, at whatever age um, that they're only doing all the things that we did and, um, and, and we, we turned out all right. So be, if you do have to tell them off, explain to them what they did, 
why they're getting told off. <laughs> and and if you shouted, just say, look, I had to shout at you because I'm your parent. And also I'm committed to not shouting at you because I love you. Right. My mom was a yeller. <laughs> yeah. So when I had my son, I'm like, I am determined I'm not going to yell at my baby. Well, that sounds all great. But after you tell them to do something five times and they're ignoring you, you're going to yell. Yeah. And I took this class that a lady I know had on like stop yelling. (laughs) And she said, how did it make you feel when your mom yelled at you? I'm like, made me feel like crap. She said, that's exactly how your son feels. I'm like, oh, great. (laughs) I don't want to make him feel like crap, but I want him to listen to me. And I do think that the way that we were raised, we can try our best to not be that way with our kids. But look at it. We were exposed to it for how many years? It's almost like imprinted in us because we were exposed to it of, okay, If little Johnny doesn't listen after three times, I'm either going to pop his butt or I'm going to yell at him or both. Yeah. Because that's what seems to get their attention. Yeah, totally. And and for me, it's about an evolution. You know, I got some horrific thrashings. Me too. We could have a whole podcast on that. (laughs) (laughs) And I know that isn't a standard experience for other people of my age and generation. And equally, just as you said there, it, it was for you, right? So I think we're probably the first generation who it's more common that we wouldn't do that. And it's and for, and for those parents that are giving out thrashings like that, I think at, at this point in time of, of our evolution, it, there's there's more of a, there's a bigger problem going on, right, in, in that area. Right. But yeah, just to reiterate, I feel that to try and hold it in, the whole day and let my kids run wild like they're going to get shouted at but I have to remember that I've brought up I've raised two very high energy kids mm-hmm. they you know if, if if as a baby you encourage them to be bonkers then guess what they're going to stay bonkers they're gonna like <laughs> I have to get my kids out every day we have to go and burn off energy you know we we, you know, and we're outside of lockdown, that's what we would always do. But even now with, with it, you know, we go running, we ride our bikes, we go and play in the park. We, we have to burn it off. So, so when, when they talk back at me, you can't really say, oh, you're out of order for talking back at me when I've encouraged them to, to be free spirited and have a voice. Right. And then, but it's then when I say that, you know what, your tone and your body language were unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Like if you've got something to say, say it. Like if you want something to happen, make it happen. But don't moan at me and roll your eyes and and stamp your feet. I mean, like, like what, where's that going to get you? In fact, all it's going to do is, is is piss me off. Exactly. So, so let's have a and it, it, people people chart people treat their kids like children, right? Which is a ridiculous thing to say, right? Because, <laughs> but <laughs> actually, give our children the dues they deserve. They got they're very capable of understanding uh, complex conversations because in a child's mind, things are much more black and white. Mm-hmm. So we have to, you know, we, we have to give them the decency of saying, you know, what you did was out of order. How I responded wasn't quite right. What I wanted to have as the outcome was this. You know, what what did the outcome you want? Oh, actually, I wanted that, Daddy. Well, why didn't you say that? You know, right. And in inside of those conversations, we learn so much about our children, and we give them the space to uh, to get to know us as well. And I mean, this is a subject that I'm so passionate about. Is is just speaking to our children, and then when they talk to us really listen, absolutely listen to them. 
Yes, because if you're not listening, they could be telling you something very, very, very important. Yeah, yeah. A- active listening, active listening. Right. Which I learned about this at, at some landmark courses. And if people want to know what active listening is, is when they finish talking, and you won't naturally do this, right? But if when they finish talking, if you can repeat back to them exactly what they said in exactly the way they said it, all the fear, confusion, energy, like, like when you can really sort of get the emotion in what they're saying, as well as the words in what they're saying, you'll have a greater realization of, oh my gosh, she's really scared. Or, oh my gosh, she doesn't know what to do. Or he's really, he's really feeling insecure about this. Um, and particularly when kids come home and tell you what happened at school, that's, that's when you can really catch, oh, actually, I think, I think she's getting bullied or I think she's, I think he, I think this is about girls. I think he's feeling insecure. Like he wants to, he, he's feeling unattractive. Okay. Why is he feeling unattractive? Oh, okay. Cause he's put on a bit of weight since lockdown started or he's, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, and that's when you can say to your kid, is this what it's really about? Or is it actually something else? Oh, well, actually, daddy, I'm not quite sure of, and my boy, he's 11. Yeah. So he's, he's getting some puppy fat right now. Um, and, and where he would previously have been doing three games of soccer a week, four hours of swimming, riding our bikes, you know, you, you got to give our kid, your kids some grace. Plus he's about to, you know, for, for as, as, as wide, as far wide as he's going now, he will go up. Yes. In, in the very near future, but it's only through active listening and noticing this sort of stuff that I'm able to say to him, do you know what? Your uncle Jim was just like this when he was your age. Oh, what do you mean? What do you mean? I was like, look, I'm pretty tall and thin and always have been, but your uncle Jim wasn't. And so you can really reassure your kids in in that respect, but you can't if you're not paying attention to what's going on. Right. As parents, we're stressed. Oh my gosh. Especially if you're going through court battles and job layoffs and medical bills. I mean, oh my gosh, it can stress you out so much. And like you said, the kid spills a glass of milk. And you freak out. Yeah. It's not the milk. Yes, it's an inconvenience and it's a pain in the butt. And no, your kid didn't mean to do it. But at that time, you're just reaching the peak of your stress and you explode. Yeah. Well, I've created a tactic for that, which I've spoken before on uh, about on Team Superdad podcasts and live streams. I've spoken about another podcast, but I created it. It's called Don't Shout, Hug It Out. And I created it. Uh, on an experience, we were driving up the freeway or the motorway, as we call it over here. And my kids were going mental in the back of the car. You know, can you, can you stop it, please? Can you stop it, please? They didn't stop. I, I sort of pulled off at the next safe place to do it. And, and slammed on brakes. Yeah, <laughs> I did. And I slammed on the brakes. And as I jumped out the car and I was going to, I was going to shout at them and stuff. And I, t- I was flashed back to a moment where my dad did that to us on a, we were in Florida and he literally like a Smokey and the Bandit style screeched into the grass on the edge of the motorway, grabbed us out of the car and like thrashed me with his belt. And in, I was like in that moment back when that was about to happen. And I thought, Oh my gosh, there's no way I'm going to create any version of that moment with my kids. And, and I, as quick as I had that thought, I realized that in a classic argument, we have the situation the, the, the problem. Then we have the row. Then we have the tears. Then we have the hug. Mm-hmm. So I thought, hang on a minute. Let's just put the hug at the beginning. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. So we have like a safety phrase called don't shout, hug it out. So when it's getting out of control, any, any one of us, the three of us, okay. We can shout, don't shout, hug it out. The only thing we're allowed to do is hug. And you just have to hold the hug because 
and, and it literally the the frustration, the upset, it starts to it starts to just melt away. And and quite commonly, someone will be really revved up and be trying to pull away, and you'd be like, no, no, we're doing the hug, we're doing the hug. You've got to hug me <laughs> because it's a bit like trying to argue and laugh at the same time, or try and be angry and laugh. It's it's, it's not possible. And right. and in a family situation, more often than not, the classic is, you know, row, cry, hug, and and if you can hug let the thing calm down, take a breather, go for a walk, you know, especially if it's between you and your partner. But if it's between you and your kids, you say, right, we're going to hug this out and then we'll talk about it. And, and hopefully all the anger and tears and struggle will be, will just be removed from the process. Don't shout, hug it out. I love that. And I love that for so many reasons because I actually, I did a podcast last week with Matt Larson and he talked about hugs and the 22nd hug and how important it is. Yeah. And I know as an adult, when you get so frustrated, I remember my sister, one of the last memories I had before she passed away, I was really frustrated and I was over there. I was overwhelmed trying to take care of her and, you know, not hear crap from my son about how I'm neglecting him because I'm always over there and all this stuff. So she looked at me and she's like, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm fine. Well, she knew I wasn't fine because of my tone of voice. And she hugged me and I broke down. Yeah. And I felt bad because I'm sitting there complaining to her and she's got her own issues. But that hug, it healed me. It calmed me down. It let out everything that I was fighting to hold in. And every time my son goes to leave, I'm like, you know, come give me a hug. Got to tell you bye. And I want us to continue to do that because it is so important. Yeah. And it's really sad because with all this COVID stuff, one of the things that breaks my heart is people in nursing homes. They're not getting hugs. They're seeing their family through a window at best. Yeah. And we need hugs. The world needs hugs. Yeah. Well, I, the great book, which I recommend called From Anger to Intimacy, and it is, it's, it's the two authors are Christians, right? But it's, it's anyone could, could enjoy this book. It's about couples repairing their relationship. And there's a section in there about physical touch. And I don't mean sexual touch. I mean, physical touch, like meaningful physical touch mm-hmm. and the hug that hand in their hand, the, even the, the loving, like brushing past them in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. We, as humans, we need, apparently we need seven, at least seven significant moments of physical touch a day. Really? Yes. If you put it, if you search it up on Google, obviously you get loads of the oracle that is the internet. But um, I yeah. first heard about this in in the book From Anger to Intimacy. But they did a horrific test in Russia. Um, I forget the exact time, but let's just say for argument's sake, it was in the 1950s. They took a bunch of babies and did not give, they gave them food, but they did not give them any love or physical touch. Um, and they all died. Really? Yeah. Wow. So we we need that. And here, just along the lines of what you were saying there, what, what I encourage is, is when you're hugging someone, because it's really easy to hug someone and not actually be in the hug, a bit like the active listening, but a hug, put your arms around them and hold it so you can feel your heart beating. Because if we tune in, we can all actually hear slash feel our heart beating at any moment. Mm-hmm. But as we, as we hug someone, just become conscious of your heart beating because if you're conscious of your heart beating, then you're giving the other person the opportunity to feel your heart beating as well. Oh, I love that. 
Oh, I so love this. It's funny when um, people will hug me and they do the one arm hug. Yeah. I'm like, that's not a hug. <laughs> hug me. <laughs> if you're going to hug me, you're going to hug me. Yeah. And I've shared this on on uh, recently uh, on a couple of posts and I got asked about it on a podcast the other day, is telling people in your life that are important to you that you love them. Mm-hmm. I, I tell my kids I love them all the time, mm-hmm. but I also say it to my friends. I say it to my family and, and I, you know, I don't say it all the time to my best male friends, but I have said it to them. I have said it, you know, as an acknowledgement, as a thank you, you know, put, putting a kiss at the end of a text message. If you're having a sensible, if you're having a serious conversation and, and, and you're reaching out to a, to a buddy, you know, it's one thing to say, I'm thinking of you, but you know, you can go the extra mile, let them know, look, I'm really here for you. We've been friends for 20 years. I love you. I'm here for you. Like mm-hmm. go beyond what you feel comfortable saying or doing as far as love and emotions go, because we're all desperate to hear it. And, um, and, and it can start with you. I, my dad it was after I did the landmark forum that I started telling him like, I love you. And uh, he still, he's not as good as it as, as perhaps he, he could be, but <laughs> he's, he's much more open with his, his emotions and his hugs and, you know, and, I, and that wouldn't have been possible had I not broken down that, that door, that barrier. That's what I was just thinking, that if you wouldn't have broken down that wall, he wouldn't have experienced that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, see, I'm really curious about this seven moments of physical touch a day. And the reason is because I'm sure you've heard of the love languages. Oh, yeah. I love that. But I recommend that book to uh, to all the dads in uh, in the Team Super Dad and Hero Academy program. I, I believe that to hug someone, to squeeze someone's hand, to brush past the person you love and let them know you're there is about emotional intimacy and anchors in our day-to-day life and relationship. And sadly, in the the tougher days of my marriage, I would experience my wife pulling away from me when I would see her in the morning and go to hug her or get in from work. And first thing I wanted, the first thing I wanted to do was, I was nuts about her. First thing I wanted to do was hug her and, and, and kiss her. And, and, you know, let me, let me be clear. There's this, this, that's not about sex. You know, it, it, it's mm-hmm. about like, oh my gosh, you're, like, I'm like a puppy. Like, oh my gosh, you're still here. Like, this is brilliant. I can't believe like, woohoo. And, um, and, but you know, whether she'd fallen out of love with me or whether she was struggling with, with her postnatal stuff and, 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 and illness, or maybe she just didn't like kisses, you know, like as much as I did, she would sort of pull away. And it was, it was so apparent to me, uh, that, that, that it really started to hurt touch is a language. We instinctively know it. We, we miss it. If it's not there, we feel agitated. If it's taken away, um, it's an anchor. Uh, it communicates positive emotions, joy, love, gratitude, sympathy. Mm-hmm. Um, it says here, scientists used to believe touching was simply a means of enhancing messages signaled through speech or body language, but it seems instead that touch is a much more nuanced, sophisticated and precise way to communicate emotions. So I think, you know, it's if in the absence of touch, what would fill it? Doubt, loneliness, insecurity, fear, loss, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Almost the, you don't know what you've got till it's, it's gone, gone kind of thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's not, there's not a lot I remember of my mum, although I, I remember a lot, but there's not a lot of real intimate moments. But I do remember one particular night where she hugged me and, and sort of stroked my head and rocked me to sleep. And um, that's pretty much my last memory of a, of a, of a moment like that. And so these things are ingrained into us they do become anchors um so i I guess if two people are happily in a relationship where neither of them needs much physical touch Mm -hmm. 
uh, I can think of one couple in particular, good friends of mine. Um, and he says to me, she never, <laughs> she doesn't even miss me when I go away, you know? So, uh, <laughs> but he's funny because if I ever hug him, it's, he, he kind of like goes rigid. He's like, Oh, he's, <laughs> I'm being hugged. I mean, like, <laughs> so, uh, but you know, sometimes I just do it because I'm so grateful to him for sometimes of, of what a great friend and support he's been to me. And I'm just like, you're getting a hug, you know, he's like, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that we talked about when I interviewed Matt Larson was that uh, people that don't like hugs, there's some underlying reason based on their like childhood trauma that, they've got a negative connotation with hugs. Yeah. And I see this girl I know, um, she's like, I cannot stand people to hug me. And I just laugh because I know what her issue is. She has been in so many bad relationships that by not liking hugs, it keeps her wall up. Absolutely. And we must all do that. Mm -hmm. Have a look at why you love things and have a look at why you don't like things and then challenge it. Because that's where we can create breakthroughs for ourselves. Uh, it's where we can evolve and enhance ourselves. We can learn a lot from the things that we don't like. Right. Well, I've just I've just sent you a, uh, this article. I've just skimmed through whilst we've been talking. It's on psychology today, uh, the power of touch. And okay, it, you know, there's so much. I just think you put it in the show notes. But uh, they talk about NBA players and and the messaging they they can see through the touch they get. Also. Uh, touch releases oxytocin so you know enhancing a sense of trust and attachment so you can see how if you took this away from someone and all those all those positive benefits those upsides are taken away it's the same as laughter I, I know a laughter coach and and I've been on his podcast a couple of times and you know so the science of laughter is amazing I mean what a gift yes what a gift. that's why it cracks me up when people say that there's that oh no we just evolved like what kind of evolution process would give humans the ability to laugh like like to generate laughter for from nothing and actually generating laughter creates it relaxes our body it exercises it makes us breathe better it gets releases oxytocin it's like a, a magic button for joy you know like so like yeah this this was not some crazy evolution thing somewhere somehow someone mixed up this this concoction called human it's so funny when you get to where you're laughing so hard and it hurts and you can't breathe yeah those are the best. I remember at Christmas, we do this Chinese gift giving thing is what they call it, where everybody buys a $5 gift and puts it in a pile and you pick it and you fight over the gifts, whatever. And one of the gifts was horrendous. It looked like this evil devil looking thing. And when my son was going to open it because he's the one that got the gift, I didn't know what it was, but I was like, it said fragile on the box. And I said, be careful. It could be a baby Jackson because his name's Jackson. Right. And so when he pulled this demonic looking thing out, I just busted out laughing because I had just said it could be a baby Jackson. And then everybody started laughing. It was contagious. We laughed so hard. I mean, we were crying and it hurt so bad, but it was great. Yeah. Well, you know, in, in uh, I, I created something inside a team super dad called the F5, which is basically the, the tenants of the foundations of Team Superdad and their their focus, fitness and finance, which is all about yourself. And then family and fun, which is all about those around us and the things that matter most. And fun sits on top because no matter what's going on in life, no matter whether you're the 
top CEO with millions in the bank and actually hiding your unhappiness or whether you're the, the, the happiest person on earth, but you've got no money and, and, and you're all on your own. Like if we can generate laughter and fun, in, you know, then we can transform any moment, even if it's just for a moment. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, I want to ask you, how often do you have your kids? Uh, we had, I had them 50-50 and uh, it took four years and two trips to court to achieve that, uh, which was very disappointing. And I said when we broke up that my intention was, well, I said, I said, let's just get on and share the kids. And uh, from that moment on, I was embroiled in a, in a battle to achieve that. Uh, but, and I proposed at that time that we had a two, two, five, two, two, three, five, two, two, five, whatever people call it different things. But basically I have, they're with their mum Mondays and Tuesdays always. And they're with me Wednesdays and Thursdays always. And then we rotate weekends. So you have them two and five, two and five, two and five. Okay. So it works pretty well. Um, the only thing it doesn't do is it's, it doesn't, you know, the other alternative really, other than seeing them more often than that, is going week on, week off, which many people, when their kids become teenagers, kind of works easier because they, they're, just, they're just there. They're in one home. They do their stuff. They go to school. They study. And then the next week, they've got the same thing going on at their, at their, at their other parents. But uh, for me, 50-50 should be a right of any child because this isn't about parents really it is first and foremost the right of any child to have equal access to both their parents and if that's the baseline we start from then you can work out what's best around schools what's best around money you know like other things can come into play but but ultimately if there's no welfare concern then a child should spend an equal amount of time with each parent because, uh, and I've had this discussion with people as well, is if you think that 60, 40, 70, 30 is okay, then you have the 30 and I'll have the 70. And instantly the other person will go, well, no, 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 that's not what I meant. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. well, of course it wasn't what you meant, but how do you think it feels on this side? And uh, so it's tricky. And, and, I, and I also know that one of the things that comes up in that subject and that conversation is that people will say, well, when we were together, you didn't spend that much time with them. And that's not really a fair thing to say because no. um, when we were together, when you were together, whatever, whoever it is, you know, when you were together, you were quite likely operating from the context of that family structure. Someone went to work for five days a week to raise the money to, so that they could spend time together. And there's a degree of that subject as well, where someone will, might have taken the situation for granted. So I'm going to work all week and then I'm going to go to the pub or to the ball game every Friday night because that's what I've always done. And and I know you're going to be there all weekend for me to come and see you then. So people get a little bit upset when they go, well, hang on a minute. You used to go to the bar every Friday night. Your kids didn't matter to you much that then. And, and actually some of the times the reality for that person is, yeah, I know I really messed up and I don't want to mess up anymore. And so uh, as hard as it is, um, 50-50 is a right uh, should be the basis after any separation. And then you work it out from there. Yes, I understand that. I know, um, goodness gracious, you can get me talking about the court system and the family court system and how it needs to be revamped. It really riles me up. And it sounds like it needs to be revamped across the pond as well. We've determined it needs to be revamped in Australia. <laughs> 
Yeah, oh, yeah, totally. Canada, everywhere. It's it's global. I would say it's global. Um, in Scandinavia, so Sweden, Finland, mm-hmm. uh, it's better. Um, and Denmark, uh, Belgium uh, have made great strides. Uh, Italy uh, has as well. And um, sadly, the UK is is not made any adjustments. There's a, something called the Children's Act of 1989, which is heavily biased towards women. Well, it's, it's a big subject, basically. But if if you took it in the in the with this with the spirit in which it was intended, then actually it's just looking to protect women and and children, and that's a good thing. But the way in which it's exploited now is is not okay. And and basically, we've got women all across the world, rightfully now having equality in all areas of life, and that shouldn't even be a conversation, you know. Let alone men slapping waitresses' butts and things like that. You know, I, I hope we're in a world that that my daughter won't have to grow up with any of that kind of conversation happening. But equality means equality on all subjects, not uh, not not to pick and choose. It's not a buffet, right? Exactly. The court system. I completely understand where you're coming from with the 50-50. But in my situation, I would have had to fight that because it wasn't in my son's best interest. And that's okay. Right. That is that is right and just. Like you said, it should be, here's where you start, and then you go from there to find the deviations. Yeah. What's wrong with, what's, so you imagine the, the situation. Uh, hello, Mr. X and Miss X. Um What's going on here? Um, right now, we, we're going to start from this. And, and, you know, it's going to be Monday, Tuesday, with you and Wednesday. Okay. Have you have any objections to that? Yes, I do. Here are my objections. Okay, great. But uh, the way that both the American court, because I do know a fair bit about the American court structure is, you know, in no other walk of life are we guilty until proven innocent. Mm-hmm. But in the family court, that's basically where we have to start from. Um, it's it's her word and the system against the dads. And and it costs an incredible amount of money and pain. And that's a shocking waste as well, because ultimately it feeds negativity into an already difficult situation. And were the courts set up to responsibly hear both sides of the story to start from 50-50 and then end up at a, end up at a, an appropriate percentage based on what the children's well-being needs are, then you know, I, I think there'd be much less conflict about it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, and sadly, less less death. People take their lives as a result of the suffering that happens through child court, and and that shouldn't happen to anyone. Exactly. You're right. And then the whole parental alienation thing, and you've got when there's abuse or neglect, it just it all needs to be revamped, and it needs to be more where a judge's opinion is not the basis of what the decision is. It's such a complex subject mm-hmm. because it needs to be completely reinvented. It, it can't be any, it can't just be adjusted. It needs to be completely reinvented. And then what happens is you've got uh, a system that is, that is self-supporting by the state or the status quo supports, supports them. So you've got, you know, legal firms, court processes, support agencies, government agencies. There's a lot, of fallout from completely creating a new, a new system. And, mm-hmm. but, but, but it, it, you know, it should be, it should be a global thing. You know, the UN has a, I think there's 26 elements to, but it's called the global rights, the UN global rights thing. And one of the squares on it is um, global 
global goals for sustainable development. Uh, the sustainable development goals, and one of the squares on this image is family, reduced inequalities. It's just about our children growing up. And in the same way that our children aren't growing up having received the thrashings that we did, you know, families should be encouraged to, to stay together. Families should be encouraged to break up without, you know, without it being heartbreak. And, uh, and people should, a system should be created whereby it's more likely that people will get on than war forever. And that's sadly what happens right now is the system is geared towards people warring and heartbreak. And that's what needs to change. Exactly. So do you and your ex get along fairly well now? Do you co-parent or is it more of parallel parenting where she does her thing, you do yours? It's parallel. And sadly, we don't really have any rapport. And I have consistently asked for it to be a different way. Mm -hmm. And uh, to whatever degree she feels that she's not able to do that. And I don't like that. I've been angry about it. I've judged her. I've resented her for it. All, all words and feelings, which actually are more likely to make her less likely to want to get on. But <laughs> I, I've said consistently, you know, our children need to see us getting along. They need, because we are the foundation. Kids don't really have much to worry about in life. They just, you know, do you remember when you were a kid, each school day seemed like it went on forever. And now we're begging to have a few more hours in our work day, you know. So <laughs> what our kids need is, is just some kind of, oh, well, it's sad that they broke up, but at least they get on. At least mummy and daddy are okay. And so I, I've consistently said, you know, our children just need to see us getting along. And if, if we can't get along, then you just need to at least create the illusion that we get along. You know, be say hello when you see me. Don't turn your back on me. Mm-hmm. And I don't say this to dog on her. She has her, she feels right in that choice. And until it changes, that will be her choice. But as I share this, I really want to encourage other parents to realize that in no other walk of life do we do we get to make that choice. Bus drivers have to say good morning to everybody. A doctor has to give the same treatment to all patients. In work, if we don't get on with our colleagues, we're likely to find ourselves out of a job. So to somewhere some level of decency, we have to say, hello, how are you? And and be able to take an interest in things that affect our children. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. My son's father and I, we parallel parent. We cannot get along. We even went to counseling and he just, his hate for me is stronger than the love for his son. And it's sad. Yeah. And if anybody's hearing you say that, Right. They need to just not hear it again. Back to active listening. They need to really reflect on what their relationship with their ex-partner is like and just put themselves in the eyes of their child and see that because that's hopefully where the breakthrough comes from. Mm -hmm. Our children can accept that we broke up. What they can't deal with is seeing us angry and resentful towards each other because they love us both. And when when our behavior towards each other has them question that love or that loyalty then it puts them in a really uncomfortable position. And it's not right that we should put our children in in an uncomfortable position. So if anyone's listening and heard you say that, they need to be like, okay, well, how do I feel about my ex? Mm -hmm. Are my children aware of that? What's the impact on them? And then of course, what would it take to get along with her or him? It's like, blimey, you made the baby. Now, as long as it was consenting sex, you made the baby. (laughs) Responsibility comes with that. Yes. Whether you like it or not. And one of those things, if we've separated, is be nice to each other. Mm -hmm. Yes. Or at least give each other the 
common courtesy you would a stranger. Exactly. Be nice. Good morning. Hello. Yeah. How's your day? It's fine. Mine's yeah. too. Glad you're not dead. Yeah, exactly. That's it. How's your <laughs> day? It was nice. Mine's too. Thank you for asking. Mm-hmm. That. Yes. And you know what? As a as a small step, as a small gesture, that may thaw some of what's going on, because um, my ex partner and I, I think we do have quite different quite different everything. But um, what what I do say with all genuine honesty is she was flipping awesome when I married her and I adored her. Yeah. See, that's, that's great. And leave off the part of, I don't know what happened to her and she's crazy now. <laughs> but that's also kind of real, you know, it's, it's yeah. like I, I had to leave. It was, it was killing me staying, you know, it was like, she, you know, to whatever degree it, it wasn't working for her either. Otherwise she wouldn't, if it had been working, we'd have both been happy. That's it. Simple as that. So, right. and I say in, when I'm coaching dads, I, I, I really work with dads to, you know, if they're still in their relationship, can this relationship be saved? Are your values aligned? Are your goals aligned? Are you killing each other like two opposing magnets by sitting in the same room together? Because if you are, you know, it was bit, when Gwyneth Paltrow said conscious uncoupling, everyone laughed. It was like, that's a nonsense expression. What kind of bullshit is that? But actually, no. Conscious uncoupling. We are two parts of a train that if we carry on like this are going to cause one hell of a crash. So we are going to consciously uncouple our carriages and just roll in off in different directions. And it's, it's powerful when you think of it like that. It's, it's the, the pain of struggling on is brutal. And so if you can recognize, like actually really commit to working it out and then really commit to, you know, <laughs> realizing it doesn't, it can't be worked out. And that's a powerful thing, much better than hating each other and going to war. Yes, exactly. And holding that anger and that hate, it's, it's not healthy. And you're only hurting yourself. Yeah. Oh, blimey, Laurie. I could talk for hours on this subject. But in, in simple summary, the toxicity of stress, resentment, hate it will kill us. It will give you cancer. It is literally proven to cause physical illness to manifest in our bodies. Mm-hmm. And so we have to forgive others in order to set ourselves free. It's the old uh, saying of taking the poison and waiting for someone else to die. It just ain't going to happen. Right. And, and letting, you know, and forgiveness, and it doesn't mean forgetting that someone raped you or something like that, but forgiveness is because if you carry on hating that person forever, then every time you see someone, let's say they support, you know, an NBA team, any, anytime you see that NBA shirt, you're going to feel all that pain and that suffering. Mm-hmm. So you've got to, you've got to find some forgiveness to set yourself free. It doesn't mean forget. Exactly. It doesn't mean it's okay. But forgiveness is the act of setting yourself free and allowing yourself to move on. Right. Yeah. So what I didn't share actually, which I will just add on, you know, around some of the, 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 the thrashings I got from my dad was, was uh, after I did the landmark forum, I was about 35, 36 and I approached him about it. And it's a, it's, it's a cool, it's called getting complete, right? Not hanging on to things that, that, that have, have happened to us in our past. And I sat and sat him down and I was like, look, I want to talk to you about something that happened. And uh, I'd, I'd come home from Cub Scouts and my mum and dad was sat in the, in the brown lounge, in, in, the, in the posh lounge, in the lounge that we rarely used. And my little brother had been playing with my Lego and it was all broken. And, and I'd obviously wasn't happy about this, but in, in that moment, my dad launched himself off the, off the couch dragged me up the stairs, 
kicking me down the corridor, threw me into my bedroom, gave me a thrashing. It was, it was, it was terrifying. And, and yeah, it hung over me. It really did hang over me. Um, but at 35, I, I sat him down and I asked him about that. And he, and he said, yeah, I remember, I remember. And uh, he said, that was the, that was the day we found out your mum was going to die. And, uh, and he said, I took it out on you. And he, and he said, I didn't, I didn't mean to. And I, and I wish I hadn't, but I did. Wow. And, and uh, you know, the, what's available from a conversation like that? Uh, we've no idea. We've no idea. And so if you can find it in yourself to, to have such a conversation and not from a place of blame and resentment, but a, but a place of, of maybe just, I don't want to forget what happened, but I do want to forgive. So, you know, can we talk about it so I can find out, you know, like, I don't know, like the conversation is, it's about getting it complete. It's, it's about leaving nothing unsaid. And, um, and I don't know, maybe that was a, maybe that was a release for my dad, but it was certainly a release for me. And, uh, and yeah, so, so I, yeah, just, to, I didn't want to leave that out there that, that my dad was, was this or that. Um, but, but he was just another ordinary guy, another ordinary dad doing his best to get through the tricky, the tricky experiences of life. And the stress. Absolutely. Well, we also didn't talk about um, your stepson. Did something happen to where you don't have a relationship with him now or it was just too awkward? I have heard from others that he said he felt caught in the middle between his mum and I. And obviously he couldn't not talk to his mum. So he's elected not to talk to me. I don't know anything more than that. I email him occasionally just to let him know I think of him. And I am okay with it. Um, if anything, his relationship with my son was pretty difficult and it had gotten to the point where I wouldn't see them both at the same time because of how he was towards my boy. But they're just kids. You know, I don't say that in, in any judgment. It was they're just kids. Mm -hmm. And he was obviously wrestling with his own stuff. You know, being a stepson, my relationship with my boy, you know, it's, it's, it's tricky. It's tricky business. But he's a good kid. He's trying the best at 19 to make something of, of, of his life. And, and I hope by my occasional emails that he knows that uh, I wouldn't tell him to go away if, if ever he called me, you know. Right. That you're there if he needs you. Yeah, well, certainly. But also I'm very aware that who I am to him is partly who he'll be to his children. And that is a responsibility I still take on. Yes. So, as you know, we, you and I could talk forever. <laughs> <laughs> and we are definitely going to have you back on to talk about more stuff. But tell people a little bit more about Team Superdad and it's the Hero Academy. Is that right? It is. Yeah, it is. So, like I said, I was climbing a mountain in Austria. Uh, there was, it was supposed to be a nice sunny climb up Austria's highest peak. And, and, uh, and a blizzard rolled in. And, and it wasn't like we weren't prepared. We did have the necessary equipment, but I was not a great climber. My best friend and guide really was, and I was there on the ride. And uh, so we're in this blizzard and we're crossing a crevasse. And I was like, oh my gosh, how am I going to fix this? And it wasn't about getting off the mountain alive. It was about how am I going to fix me? How am I going to fix this breakup and everything that's going on? And, and as the sun came out from behind the clouds and I could see the, the mountain hut we were heading towards, I suddenly realized, oh, this experience has less left me prepared 
to help others. This experience is like I, I could I could help other people avoid this, or I could help them get over it quicker. And as and as quick as I'd had that thought, it made me realize: well, if that all happened for a reason, what about all the things I've learned, all the courses I've been on, all the breakthroughs, all the pain, all the, all the people, all the all the books. I thought, oh my gosh, this has all got me to this point. My personal development journey, um, my business skills and experience. And in, and in that moment, Team Superdab was born because I knew that if other men could feel less alone, if they could feel that they had support in making decisions about their money, about their relationship, about their family, then perhaps they would make better choices. They would make even quicker choices. You know, I sometimes I spent years worrying about choosing to to change my career or not. Well, I should have just, you know, if I'd have had the right support and encouragement, I'd have probably made different decisions at the right time. I remember when we were planning for our wedding, I went to a, a like a millionaires maker conference and I came back having put four grand's worth of courses on a credit card. And and I must have looked like flipping Jack and the Beanstalk with some magic beans in my hand because <laughs> the last thing my wife or my fiance wanted to see was me wide eyed with excitement saying, guess what? I just spent four thousand pounds on. Um, and so, you know, inside a team, Superdad, inside the community, we've got fit people who are great at relationships, supporting each other in relationships. We've we've got people who have got no money, but unfit supporting that back. You know, so that so that they're sharing their money skills with people who is who are broke, and they're getting the fitness skills back. Mm-hmm. And the community over on Facebook is totally free. We have a dad call every other Monday night, which is eight pm UK time, two pm Eastern, which is just a free men's group. It's just a drop in on Zoom. Sometimes we have a laugh and joke, and and sometimes someone has a serious question that we that we all share and, and support them on. And um, the Team Superdad group on Facebook is just Team Superdad, um, you know, uh, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Team Superdad. But a really easy way to find out all about it is to go to teamsuperdad.com and you can get links to the podcast and the community. And the Hero Academy is the paid part. It's a, it's an eight week onboarding uh, about releasing your superpowers. And that's not powers that we don't have. It's about digging into ourselves and, and revealing all the all our strengths, capturing our, our vision and our passions, dealing with some of our hangups and ultimately equipping us to create the life we desire so we don't feel stuck in the life we don't want. Right. To me, it sounds like it would be beneficial for dads and stepdads. Oh, totally. The The definition of, of dad is very broad, you know, uh, and if someone's brother was not even a dad, you know, they'll, they'll be very welcome anyway. So dads, stepdads, grandparents, guardian you know it's it's a it's a program for men but but obviously there's a, a context there about our children about our relationships or discovering a new relationship um it's about lifting men up and uh and you know th- there's a phrase that gets banded around quite a lot right now about modern men but it's true we are helping clean the house we are going out to work we are doing childcare. we are cooking meals we are buying flowers for our wife still you know we're we're doing it all and it's about how we can continue doing that with with full energy and love making better decisions and creating our best lives ever right i love that your hero academy sounds a lot like our nacho kids academy 
Well, yeah, it is. You know, it's it's uh, it's a paid program. It, it's a, a framework for success. There's coaching. Like I said, the onboarding thing is an eight week program, which in itself is really what they're what you know they're they're paying for the, the benefit. But then the value rolls out across the whole the whole year with with workshops. With um, there's a training area where specialist experts come in and do short bursts of of added value things. So parenting, fitness, managing your finances, um, relationship advice. An analogy for that is you won't learn how to run a triathlon in there, but you'll certainly learn how to get fit and eat right. And and that's that's the environment. And and the coaches that bring those that content, lots of people go on and actually work with them. So for example, Pete, the fitness guy. Um, he's helped me put the F5 fitness plan together, um, but he offers, you know, triathlon training, which which people go some some people go on and do that with him independently. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, which I do do as well with other dads. I work one on one with dads as well as uh, as a dad coach. Good, and they can find out that information on TeamSuperDad.com. Absolutely, there's uh, there's the rebuild uh, framework for dads who are coming out of relationships and want to put themselves back together. And uh, and uh, everything around the super dad, you can imagine uh, dads wanting to, to a sounding board, some accountability, some some support in dealing with challenging subjects. Um, it's not about counselling. And if I work with dads who it's apparent they need counselling, then then I'll support and steer them in that direction. But, you know, dads are really, I'll tell you what I will say just finally, rather than, you know, if people want to find out more about Team Superdad, then just come on over to teamsuperdad.com. But what I will say in terms of a context is men are a bit lost right now. We want the success that we feel we deserve. We want the relationship that we feel we deserve. We strive hard to create uh, that that love and, and and respect with our children. But when it doesn't feel like it's quite going to plan, we don't know what to say. We don't know who to turn to. And it's almost embarrassing to put our hand up and say, I'm failing. Mm-hmm. Whether you're a millionaire, a CEO, a strong vet, you know, like a, someone who's a tough guy, you know, the nerd, it's it's hard to put your hand up and say, can someone help me? Now, con- converse to that in the world, women have been on a, an empowerment journey for, for the last 50 years. So it's now, it's almost natural for women to put their hand up and say, what, what have you got for me? Help me become stronger. Help me become cleverer. Help me become you know, higher up the, 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 you know, the job chain, change a career, whatever women, are, women feel very happy to put their hand up and say, can anybody help me? Like I, I want to do great things, but for a man to put their hand up and say, oh, can someone help me? I, I want to do some great things. It, it looks like a sign of weakness. And, uh, and so, but so many men are struggling and, and thanks to team super dad, thanks to lots of other programs around. Um, there's more and more avenues for dads to, to, to raise themselves up to, to get the support they need. And to, like, as I say, to create the life, they want rather than feel stuck in the life they don't want. Exactly. And you're right. Men are struggling and not just men. I'm not just saying that, but everybody's struggling right now. Oh yeah. And especially I know in the States with the school shut down, that adds a lot of stress because of trying to help your kid do the virtual learning. There's just, there's so much stress going on right now and we all could benefit from learning these skills that you teach for sure. Exactly. Thank you for saying. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on as well. It's been brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. And, and uh, we've got the, there's a Team Superdad podcast as well. So if people want to hear some more of my ramblings, then they can come and check out the Team Superdad podcast as well. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, Johnny, thank you so much for being a guest. We really appreciate it. And we will have you back on, no doubt. Take care. I'll catch you soon. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. 
David, I'm going to start saying blimey. <laughs> okay. That's probably better than some things I hear you say. David, <laughs> I am going to post the link to the Power of Touch article that he mentioned. He said that there's this guy that's like a laughter coach. What do you mean? Like he teaches you how to laugh properly? I don't know. I want to be a laughter coach. A laughter coach. I don't think he teaches you to laugh properly. I think he teaches you the importance of laughter. Okay. That makes sense. I'm guessing, folks. I'm guessing. I don't need no coaching on that because I'll laugh at you. All you got to do is fall down. (laughs) Did you ever hear of that thing that happened somewhere (laughs) where the whole town could not stop laughing? No. Was it like a leak, a nitric oxide leak? No. I'm going to butcher this name. The Tanjaniyaka. Hey, that sounded pretty good. The Tanjaniyaka <laughs> laughter epidemic of 1962 was an outbreak of mass hysteria. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if you go somewhere and a bunch of people are laughing, it's mass hysteria. Oh, no. It lasted a while. It began on January 30th of 1962 at a mission-run boarding school for girls. It started with three girls and spread throughout the school, affecting 95 of the 159 people. (laughs) (laughs) The pooples. (laughs) The pooples are laughing. Affecting 95 of the 159 pupils aged 12 to 18. Symptoms lasted from a few hours to 16 days. Well, they've always said laughter is contagious. It caused the school to close on March the 18th. Dude, if I knew we could get out of school for that, (laughs) when I was younger, we would have done it. Mm -hmm. But think about it. But what happened? Like somebody had to do something. I don't know, man, because think about it. Well, look at it. Read it again. The part, it started with what? Two girls? Three. Three little girls. So you know they were doing something they weren't supposed (laughs) to be doing. They just started giggling about it. And then they affected 95. Two other people. They was probably looking at some little boy across the room, giggling at him. No. Yeah. Well, uh, uh-huh. or making fun of somebody. That's <sighs> what it was. Okay. You ready for this? Yeah. The epidemic spread to another village <laughs> where several of the girls lived. In April and May, 217 mostly young villagers had laughing attacks. Okay. A laughing attack. I've had those. Well, luckily it was a 1960-something, because if it happened today, you'd see a commercial on TV about some drug you have to take to curb your laughing disorder. You have a laughing disorder nowadays. <laughs> Back then, it was a laughing attack. and that was a, Today, it'd be a laughing disorder, and you have to take these vitamins and minerals, not vitamins, but drugs. <laughs> that'll, um, it'll, it may uh, curb your ability to laugh, but would also cause you the inability to sit down Sleep may cause drowsiness while using heavy equipment. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but listen to this, David. You ready? (laughs) Yeah. The Kashasha school was sued for allowing the children and their parents to transmit it to surrounding areas. 18 months after it started, the phenomenon died off. The laughter reports were widely accompanied by descriptions of fainting, flatulence, (laughs) that's why people are laughing that's how it all started then girls are sitting in school and some little boy over there with and then that was it 
respiratory problems. That's my phone to flatulence. <laughs> rashes, crying, and screaming. <laughs> In all, 14 schools were shut down and a thousand people were affected. But think about it. Laughter is contagious. Once you start telling kids the school shuts down, if you just keep laughing, you think, <laughs> I mean, come on, folks. But how many times have you and I, especially me, started laughing and just could not stop? Not for 16 days. No. But the bad thing with me is I laugh at inappropriate times. <laughs> Funerals, church. You know that church laugh where you're trying your best to not let it out and your whole body's shaking? Yeah, you see the person's shoulders jumping up and down, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> which makes you laugh even harder. Hey, laughing makes you live longer. Does it? Yeah. I am going to outlive you. It increases your... Oxytocin. The happiness hormone. <laughs> but seriously. This is why we push buttons, though. All the button pushers of America unite. Oh, so it makes you laugh and makes our cortisol it, it, levels rise. Right. So I we, still got to call Matt Larson so, on that. So not only do we live longer, but we're killing the people we love <laughs> faster. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a win-win. <laughs> okay. So there you go, folks. Well, I guess this means that in addition to all the other things this podcast does for you, it now extends your lifespan by giving you something to laugh at. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> Yeah. We just added a minute to your life. <laughs> Some of you are going, gee, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and they're thinking, yeah, you took away an hour and a half. I mean, listen to this thing. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's all I got. All right. Let's wrap it up. Get these people some of their life back. <laughs> all right, folks. Thanks for listening to today's show. Hope you join us next week to get some more laughter and minutes added to your life. Until then, remember, life is good when you nacho. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nacho Kids podcast. Find us online at nachokids.com. Until next time, remember, life is good when you nacho.